Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York. And Boca Raton, Florida. It's the Freight 360 Podcast. From freight broker sales tips to sports talk, this podcast is all about helping you grow as a freight broker. We're your hosts, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right, welcome back for another episode of the Freight 360 Podcast. If you're brand new here, you found us on a fun episode. We're going to talk about the freight market. It's obviously been an ever-changing thing, and we've got a special guest coming back with us this week. We'll get to to Dean in a second. Uh, Continue to share us with all your friends. Send us all your questions. Leave us reviews on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Google, wherever you want. You could, you know, write a review on Reddit. For all uh, for all intents and purposes, you know, we just like getting the word out there. So, um, but uh, welcome back if you're if you're been with us for a while, we appreciate you continuing to join us. Um, so we've got Dean Croak from DAT with us again. He's been on a, a few previous episodes. Um, Dean, welcome back. How are you? Yeah, good. Great to be with you, my favorite podcasters. It's good to be with you guys. I love this show. <laughs> We it's love wonderful. having you on. So we, we've had a we've had a, a long lasting partnership with DAT and um, everything from you know showing folks the best tools out there and having some industry experts come on to talk about what's going on in the freight world. We we appreciate it and look forward to a, another great year with you guys. So um, I'm curious. So you know, we'll give a little sports recap here. Um, did you guys? I, I would hope. Did you guys watch the Super Bowl? First half, I did I did? Do you say first time, Dean? Yeah, it was halftime happened at bedtime, so I had to go to bed. Oh, the first Sorry. half. No, I, yeah, I watched the first half, and then it was bedtime, so I was done. Yeah, I thought you said it was your first time watching one. I was like, no, you no, living under no. a rock? Yeah. No, it was. Uh, well, the Bills weren't in it, so you know, and the Patriots weren't in it. If you're well, that, that was fan. my first time without like Tom Brady, so I was kind of bummed. Well, yeah. not the first time, but like it's kind of. For me, living in New England, it's like Super Bowl or any big sporting event's always got a you know a Brady in it somewhere. So, yep, yeah. But I heard I heard there was a little bit of controversy towards the end, right, with some of the calls. Yeah. So um, at halftime, the Eagles were up by ten points, and yeah. by the end of the game, the Chiefs came back, and the game's oh. tied up at. Yeah. Uh, was it 35, 35? Yeah, yeah. And then like super high scoring game. And then on the, yep. like the final, within the final minute, I'm think, I think it was like 40 seconds left or no, two minutes left, whatever it was. Um, there was a holding call against yeah. the Eagles and right. it put, um, it, you know, it basically, instead of punching away, it, it put Kansas city it easily in field goal range. And then they were able to go up even further and kneel it out for a um, you know a game ending mm. field goal, yeah. Um, but there was controversy. Was it a hold? Was it not a hold? I mean, it was just. Right. I don't know. I the watched guy, it on replay, and it looked no, like it just felt like something some earlier. Like just same nuts. Sorry, Benjamin. No, I was just going to. They had uh, the. I listened to Pittsburgh radio, and they had Gene Steratore, um, the guy yeah. who yeah the, the rules ref, analyst. And, yeah, and he's from. Well, he's from Pittsburgh, so he's on there a lot. And he had said basically his opinion was like that hold was a hold. And he said why he thinks everyone got as pissed as they were was because there was a similar hold that mm-hmm. wasn't called on Kansas exactly. City earlier. And he, yeah, exactly. and he makes a good point. And he's like, look, you know, calls will be missed from time to time. They're human beings. He's like, but if you miss a call, that doesn't really justify not making the right call in the future. Right. And he's like, I get right. it. 
But at the yeah. end of the day, that's what a lot of the controversy I think was. Is that consistency like, is what it is. Yeah. yeah. And, but it's like, well, I mean, if you're the ref, do you not call it when you like really, when you see it? Then again, yeah. I don't well, know. The same, the same concept applies in baseball too. So like if you're, if you're an umpire behind the plate and you're calling strike yes. ball and you know, people are like, well, they, you know, they were kind of loose on the strike zone for this team. Now they got to, they got to make it up on the next mm. guy. And it's like, they don't because those umps are rated on their accuracy. Mm-hmm. So if they make up a bad call with another bad call to even it out, they lower their overall accuracy and they're not going to maintain a position behind the plate there. So right. I get that. It's But if you're a Philly fan, you're frustrated. Like there, I saw – The kid um, breaking the TV. I, Did you see that video? No. No, I didn't oh, There was a that. viral video. This kid looks like he's like 15 or 16 and he's at a party, right? And they're all in front of the TV and he literally just loses it, throws a remote through the TV and rips the TV off the wall and just oh. slams it when he's just like screaming. <laughs> it was wow. Nuts. Philly, man. Yeah. They're uh, they're a different breed. So all of our fans out there and listening from, <laughs> uh, from New Jersey, South Jersey to be specific, the Philly area there. Uh, you know, we're here for you. You guys are crazy. Yeah. Um, so either way, it is what it is. I feel like if, but if you, like, I saw a couple of plays that are calls that they were missed earlier on too. But it is what it is at the end of the day. Um, Pat Mahomes is fun to watch. You know what I mean? Like, oh, and when you, just because you're up, a team's up by ten at halftime. Don't forget twenty eight to three. Tom Brady back in. 2017, right? Like the greatest comeback in a Super Bowl. Um, It can happen. Another exactly. I think Mahomes is up there in the category of Brady, of you know Peyton Manning. I saw a comparison at the age of 27 where they both were, and they like both had two Super Bowl rings, but like Mahomes has over double like the touchdowns and yards. He's got a offensive player of the year. He's got. the, I think the MVPs were the same, but his his stats are like beyond where Brady was at 27 years old. And right. if he continues right. down that path and can right. have an elongated career, he's like undoubtedly is going to surpass Tom Brady right. as the goat. But we'll see. Right. And here's the thing. And again, it's a long way from that. But I also just feel like there's that untangible thing when you watch him play, where like I just he just finds a way to win, right? Like and again, like you saw that I think also in the, the AFC Championship game, like just mm. finds a way. And again, there was another call in that game too. But again, I just feel like watching him is like watching like one of the great quarterbacks where they just mm. find a way, no matter what, to get that extra down, to get the extra yards, to yep. make the other team make mistakes, whatever it is. Right. I just. Yep. Absolutely. So, and you know, also if you guys don't watch golf in the same weekend in the uh, Phoenix area was the waste management uh, tournament, which is at TPC Scottsdale. Mm. Um, Scheffler, Scheffler. Them, right? Yeah. Yeah. 19 <laughs> yep. under. Could you yep. imagine being just in the Phoenix area last weekend? Like just absolutely. Absurd. I, I had a, a guy yeah. I know, he went to the waste management um, tournament and he sent a picture. Like they, they like went to a bar afterward to grab just like a day. It was like three guys that each got a drink and the bill was like, a hundred bucks. And so you're paying like <laughs> over $20 a drink. Plus they had like these, it was like mandatory gratuity was added on their mm-hmm. tab, like a technology Ooh. fee, like all these other fees. Oh. And I'm like, wow. Like they know it's supply and demand. Like people, people are going to drink their beers, right? Yep. Just, you know, it's got to charge them for it. But I bet it had to be just be absolutely insane just to oh. be in that area. So 
crazy. Yeah, a little bit of price gouging by the sound of it. Ben, I'm curious. You're big into golf. What makes the waste management tournament like so rowdy? Like it is known as like the craziest party in golf every single year. I really don't know. Like, I know Tiger Tiger Woods had a hole in one there, like early in his career. And I don't know if that's when it turned or what, but it's crazy. Is it? Is it? It's like one of the early ones in the season. It's hot and yeah. It, I mean, it could be that too. Yeah, because it's always it's early on. Yeah, but it's just it's historically known as like just the biggest party in golf tournaments. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it even says water bottles and beers everywhere. (laughs) It says, yeah, it's like it's earned its nickname as the greatest show on grass and made it one of the most popular events on the PGA Tour calendar. Fascinating. Good stuff. Well, that's uh, there's your uh, recap on sports. You won't be hearing me talk about um, football for quite a while here. Oh, I'm right. sure you'll, you'll get some, you'll get my off season stuff and who's moving around where, but uh, we'll, we'll get into the episode today. So um, we haven't done a market update in about a year. It might've been last year. Yeah. Wow. We had Ken Adamo wow. on um, yep. the last two yep. years. Uh, we'll have to get his take later this year on what's, what, what's going yep. on, but yeah, you know, you look at it. So Dean, to kind of get your, your perspective here, I'm going to start big picture. So, yep. Six, seven, eight months ago, like freight was booming. People were mm. making lots of money. Rates were high. And it seems like everyone and their brother was like either starting a brokerage, a trucking company, right. a dispatch service, wh- whatever they could do to get their hands on the pot. Um, and then you get towards the end of the year and it's like it's it's like black and white. Night and day mm. what the market has looked like right. and rates have gone right. down. Um, you get a lot of these trucking companies that they were not cash – healthy um mm. you know they've got debt they've got all these no, you know notes on their trucks and whatnot and mm. they don't know how to figure out what their um cost per mile is or their cost per day and stuff like that and they just start going out of business and capacity has gotten loosened um even with freight volume just seems like we're going down but so that's what that's what i've seen but what Yep. From an analytics standpoint, what happened between like June of 2022 and now? We're in February of 23. Just like, um, yeah, diesel hit five bucks 80 a gallon. Uh, that was the big thing that happened in July of last year. But if you think about where we were in July, uh, we were only three or four months into the, this freight cycle. And so we're only just over 12 months into this current freight cycle. And when I say cycle in the downswing, you know, the downside of the freight cycle, it's already starting to sh- show signs of bottoming out. So the, the, the message here is that this is a much shorter freight cycle than we've ever seen before, which is, I think, an emerging trend. So normally freight cycles, 18 months to three years, uh, current freight cycles seem to be very short and but have a lot more amplitude, both on the way up and the way down. So the, of course, we've had some unprecedented things here. None of us predicted that Russia would, you know, invade the Ukraine and diesel would jump to $5.80 a gallon and be north of five bucks a gallon for a long period of time, which squeezed a lot of carriers out of the industry that were, you know, just getting by. But of course, that coincided with the freight market cooling and spot rates dropping almost a dollar a mile over that period. So when you combine the fact that diesel went up, everyone's operating costs went up about 25 cents a mile, spot rates dropped a dollar a mile, suddenly you've got people that were 
you know, not good at managing costs, didn't have a good handle on what it really cost to run a truck, suddenly realizing that paying three times for a used truck that's out of warranty, 30 grand a year for insurance, suddenly it's a whole, it's a numbers game and the numbers didn't add up. And that's why you saw a lot of carriers. The, the peak in exits in the industry based on the government data was October, November last year. And since then, it's flatlined and carriers are starting to come back to the market. So I think there's, there was definitely a flight from uh, independent contractors who'd bought their own trucks during the pandemic back to leased on owner operators working for larger carriers running for mm-hmm. about two bucks. The average uh, line, uh, average rate for a, a power-only guy working for a large fleet is about $2 a mile. Uh, if you've got your own truck, your operating costs are about a buck eighty a mile. So there's still a, there's a good margin there if you're leased on and running for a big company because you've got access to their you know fuel purchasing program and other other things. So that's that's been the big shift is the me, rates down, costs up. So a question about that, right? And because we're talking primarily about the demand side, right? The trucks right. that are moving the quantity of freight. But yep. what has the other side of that equation look like over this time? So the amount of actual freight being moved. I know, you know, pre-pandemic, going into the pandemic, we stopped buying services and started right. buying right. goods with all of our money. Meaning we didn't go mm-hmm. to restaurants, we didn't go to concerts, we didn't do anything outside. And we still consumed a lot of goods and food, but we were buying them in different places. That created disruptions right. in inventory and even just routing of supply chain where we bought food was different, right? So what has that looked like? Because, and then on top of that, you have the government increasing interest rates so that people's right. purchasing power goes down right. so that they intentionally buy less goods. How has mm-hmm. that factored into it on the supply side? It's uh, it's made a substantial impact at a commodity level. So if you think about you know, big picture, uh, one of the best indices came out today from Professor Jason Miller, which is the Michigan State University Truckload Ton Mile Index, based on 41 freight producing commodities, uh, basically flat year over year. So tonnage, so the volume of freight moving is flat. It has mm-hmm. tailed off in the second half of last year. Uh, even the ATA Truckload Index confirms much the same. So I think volumes are relatively flat, but there's a real shift in those volumes. You've seen, you know, we've got a lot less retail imports coming in. Volumes are down based on January data from IHS market. Volumes are down in January. Oh, they're up in January slightly, up uh, up about 5%, but down 17% year over year. But the big thing that's impacted truckload is, is furniture imports as a direct uh, impact of the Decline in housing sales and higher interest rates, so that the you know single family I never housing about that that's interesting. Yeah, single you know so furniture furniture is twelve percent of import containers last month. The next nearest mm-hmm. was plastic products at five percent. Wow! So it's so furniture has always been about double the volume of the next nearest commodity of what comes in in those containers. So question, what did that volume look like? Did it go, because I would assume it went down because less people are buying houses because I've looked at the the real estate numbers. Yeah. So So if you've got an exposure to retail imports as a carrier or a broker, um, those volumes are down 31% 31 year over year. So what's what's crazy? So, but if their overall volumes are flat, what is making up that shortfall? So industrial production is still pretty strong, like has been pretty strong, although there's some signs of it weakening. Industrial production, so remember, retail imports on the container side at best account for about 10% of truckload volume. Uh, 
On the on the industrial economy side of our you know freight market, about you know somewhere between fifty five and sixty percent of ton miles come from industrial production. Can we People have some building examples? Things. Yeah. So, what are some examples of commodities that are shipped truckload that fall under that class? Uh, so, anything to do with building and construction, air conditioning ducts, um, you know, machinery. Um, okay. Machinery, machinery imports are you know way up this year. What types um, of machinery are we talking? Like and like what? Backhoes, like skid steers, bulldozers, okay. anything to do Grab with construction. Yep, heavy equipment. Okay. Um, one of the biggest things, one of the biggest movers is 100 horsepower tractors, like which can go in a dry van or a flat wheel. A dry van's a bit questionable without the tie downs, but um, a lot of uh, from Japan in particular through Baltimore, surging volumes of 100 horsepower tractors. So th- there's some things that are what really are moving. What are uses of a 100 horsepower tractor? Like what are they used I, for? Uh, during the pandemic, it was theorized that these are a lot of the hobby farmers. You know, mm-hmm. that were buying little tractors for orchards and things like that. So I'm not, you know, I'm not dug into that. But that's one of the categories that's okay. that's growing. I'm just curious. I'm like a hundred horsepower tractor. I'm like that seems like a lawnmower, basically, right? Like it's a, a bit large bigger. Yeah, riding- prob- yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so if you think about, if you break it all down, one of the biggest things that's that's impacting truckload right now is declining housing sales because it's not just flatbed lumber and roof shingles and things like that. It's truckload. It's container loads of washing machines and dryers. And electrical appliances that dry vans move once the house is built. I think that's going to be one of the biggest things we've got to watch. And the new numbers are out for January. They're out tomorrow from the US Census Bureau. We'll have a feel for where that's at. But we, we are building about 30% fewer single family homes than we did a year ago. We're back at 2019 levels to give you a sense mm-hmm. of what that looks like. Um, so, you know, we were building about 1.2 million homes a month at the peak of the building craze about a year ago. Today, it's around 890,000. And that's where it's forecast to be this year. So, yeah. so that it's, it's, it depends on the commodity that you're hauling as to what your fortunes are like. So right now, if you go to the southeast, you see really good volumes of flatbed moving, you know, steel and lumber because there's still a lot of building activity going on in your mm-hmm. home state. So... Um, so I think it really depends where you are regionally and what you're hauling as to what your fortunes look like. So uh, well, clearly- and I like the way, well, I was yeah. just going to ask you to that point, and I even like the way you phrase that, right? Your fortunes are likely tied to the commodity you're hauling. So, I mean, for most of our audience that are brokers out there, where, if you were a broker, where would you have your salespeople prospecting? What commodities and what industries would you have them go after? So- um, if you're in into the specialized area, heavy haul, this we're heading into peak machinery import season. Mm-hmm. So you know uh, Tacoma, Galveston, Houston, New York, Savannah, uh, Baltimore. Baltimore is probably the biggest for roll on, roll off. Right? Mm-hmm. So all of those ports are going to see fairly steep volumes in the coming months. We're headed planting season. So if you're thinking immediate. Um, the southeast is we start to see steel production. The southeast is our number one steel production region in the country. So you, you're going to oh. see good volumes of steel coming out of Montgomery and Alabama, Montgomery mm-hmm. and uh, sorry Georgia, uh, Mississippi to a degree. It's also our biggest area for producing lumber, dimension framing lumber, the southern yellow pine that grows the fastest and has the lowest labour cost in the southeast. It's also where a lot of that you would have read about this week. We've got um, exports to Mexico are at thirty-year highs of, of southern yellow pine. 
So there's a lot of flatbeds moving to El Paso and Laredo. So I, I, you did an article on that last week on um, flatbeds and increased demand in Laredo and where the rate per hour at like highs. We just see incredible volume moving from Houston to Laredo. It's like one of the busiest lanes. It's like Houston to Houston to Dallas and Houston to Laredo are like two of the really hot flatbed lanes. So I think I think there's an overall trend of um, you know we're exporting more to Mexico, they're exporting more to us. So that I think there's really going to if you think about prospecting, I think as as supply chains de-risk from China, um, you're going to see a lot more volume across the southern border without doubt. Some of those markets around San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Um, they are, they seem to be having a lot more spot market volume over time. So that's there's area there, there's a couple of areas that I think are going to be particularly good. I wanted to break that down real quick to what you said because I don't know that a lot of people understand like the decoupling of supply chains with China. The big risk, right, was when it's that far away when they got disrupted. Uh, we had this right. huge issue starting them again, right? Because it's so far away in the time lag that a lot of, you know, companies in the U.S. are trying to source things either domestically now or at least a larger portion or closer, like you said, in Mexico. Yeah. Well, they call it China plus one, which is where we're still going to have our, you know, our basic supply chain with a low cost producer. And then, but then we're going to have a backup plan. We're going to have some redundancy in our supply chain, which could be you know, a friendly supplier like Mexico, it could be Canada, or it could be Southeast Asia like Vietnam, which is also seeing increased volumes. Um, and Southeast Asia, if you think about it geographically, Southeast Asia imports uh, can get to the East Coast quickest via the Suez Canal as opposed to the Trans-Pacific to the West Coast and then through the Panama Canal. So, so there's a shift in where imports are coming from, which impacts which coast they go to, and uh, and then you're seeing this nearshoring effect here, where people are looking for more, you know, resiliency in their supply chain, so they're not completely exposed like they were to China. But the other thing, though, guys, is it's not that easy to change your supply chain, and it's very commodity specific. So if you take an iPhone that's got parts in it from dozens and dozens of countries, and it's very labor intensive, it's probably not going to move away from China, yeah. right? But but if you take something that's really easy to build, that's kind of a cookie cutter. That I don't know. I can't think of an example that's immediate. Um, someone said on a show the other day, their uh, Matthew Leffler said his Barbie doll is probably a really good one. Sorry, his daughter's Barbie doll is going to be one that <laughs> to could be easily. Clear, yeah, to yeah. be clear, is one that would easily go to Mexico to be built. So yes. I think it's commodity specific. And you've got to remember that why this is a big deal for everyone listening is about 80% of all the imports coming across the border in Mexico are land, land-based. It's truckload. Now, some of that's going to come across the border and be, you know, maybe get loaded into intermodal containers on some of those uh, big trains that run out of there. But I think there's going to be a lot more volume over the years on that southern border market. And uh, you've got to watch the trade balance because you've got to get to that market to come back out because there's a fairly big distance involved if you're thinking about deadhead miles. So So let me ask this. You hit on tonnage and how it's – you said it remained flat. Yep. If we look at like a specific month, are you privy to when the peak was? Which month was the peak in the last couple of years and what month has been the bottom or the lowest? Um, the lowest was certainly um, October, November last year. There's no question about that. Uh, June, June was what we saw as being the, the busiest period, especially in the spot market 
June was when we saw most of our activity. And that's what we saw even the year before as people pulled forward a lot of their retail imports. We saw a lot more activity in the spot market in the middle of the year than we would normally see. So I think that's that fits with how a lot of brokers saw the market. They saw a big shift in October, November downward. Yeah, because typically, uh, and I saw a lot of that, I do a lot of dredge and I do a lot of import work, was a lot of companies in preparation because of what happened the year before, didn't want to be caught without enough inventory for the fourth quarter. So they were bringing in things in July and August that they normally would wait until the third and fourth quarter. So you never really saw this huge peak at the end of the year where they normally do because they just started the year earlier. And I think the same thing's happening now. So if you think about you know what drove that East Coast shift in imports from the West Coast, well, it was two things, congestion. Uh, this time last year, there were 109 vessels waiting to unload. That's uh, zero today. There's nothing, no one's waiting. Um, but the second big thing was the ILWU contract that expired in July still hasn't been ratified, and they're only just now talking about getting back to talking. So if you're thinking about where do you route your imports for summer and fall season, what are you thinking? It's the same thing as last year. You went away from the West Coast before you were worried about the strike, possibility of strikes and ghost lows. So I think that's why that's why if you think if you listen to the West Coast port people, they're they're a little bit nervous. You know, Gene Soroka said on a press release last week, don't bet against LA. They got a lot of work to do to bring that tonnage back to the West Coast. Um, so I think we're in a position now where the trend from last year around imports increasing on the Gulf Coast and East Coast, that will continue. Your question about where would salespeople be watching, I think we're going to see a continuation of that this year so on the import what, side. What percentage of truckload freight is from imports? Like what percentage of yeah. the cargo that comes into the US makes up the truckload market? It's about 10% at most. Okay. And you're saying, so it, and again, okay, go ahead. Right, I'm sorry. Right. But but why it's a big deal is whenever you have congestion and surging volumes into ports, it overwhelms the contract freight infrastructure, both rail and road. And what we see is a relationship between surging volumes and congestion and spot market increasing volume. The rates go up. As soon as you have the yeah, congestion right. and it pulls on right. it, right? And that affects everything, right? Because a lot of the warehouses along California is where these yep. imports yep. go. They don't go directly into the country. And then right. all of those lanes right. get right. eaten up and then there's no capacity. So it drives the spot market right. up. So that's what happened. Yeah. We ran out of yep. space to mm-hmm. put them. Yep. Yep. So what, I mean, yeah. so we're, in, we're yeah. in February. What would you project the middle of the year looks like? Um, and I know, again, whenever we're predicting something, there's not like a perfect science to it. There's a little bit of gut instinct and intuition that goes into it. But what would you say looks different and what do you think looks the same at the middle of the year? I think it's going to be – I think this year will be pretty – my gut tells me it's going to be flat again, but with a little bit of a speed bump in the middle of the year because of produce season, right? So I think I think we're going to we, – we, we have always said we'll have a much quieter first quarter than – normal because of the whiplash effect of all of the activity last year. And then we'll see a pickup in import in uh, spring and summer activity. There's more freight moving in the second quarter and third quarter. But I think that'll even out the slow first quarter so that it'll be relatively flat throughout the year is how I see things. We don't see the market turning until on the contract side the middle of the year, whereas we see the spot market starting to turn uh, at the end of this quarter, it's already showing signs of flat flattening out right now. If you're in flatbed, rates are already starting to head back up again. 
So good news, right? Good news for the carriers that likely towards the end of the first or going right. into the second quarter, we're going to start seeing spot market come up. And then the contract market that is still yep. above the spot, which it shouldn't be because economically, right. just right. for the listeners, it should cost you more when you have less time. If I give you an hour to find me a truck, it should be more expensive, right? Than if right. I tell you two weeks right. in advance, just as an analogy. Right. So for the past, really since almost 12 months, yeah, yeah, beginning of the pandemic, the contract rate has been more expensive than the spot market, which is right. backwards. So yeah. likely the contract market will stay until what you're saying around the middle of the year. The spot market will start to come up and hopefully around the middle of the year, they cross to where they should be, where the spot market will again be more expensive than the contract market. That's the prediction. Uh, we think there's something like maybe 6 to 9% more for contract rates to come down, including fuel there at 287 now. So you're probably talking about two bucks sixty a mile by the middle of this year before they start to come back up. Um, you know, new rates coming into routing guides are lower, so they are decreasing, but stubbornly so because a big component of that is your fuel surcharge when you look at the all-in rate. So yeah, contract rates are coming down, but I think again it comes back to being commodity specific. Rates are falling faster in reefer falling in dry van, but they're starting to bottom out and go back up again. They've been increasing for three weeks in a row in flatbed which again is consistent with it's been a much warmer winter. We've got, you know, as I said on a, our show yesterday, people are digging holes in the middle of February when they wouldn't normally because the ground would be frozen. So you've got more building activity going on because we've had a warmer winter. And I think that's what's helping drive more volume into the flatbed market. So yes, we think um, our short-term rates, we have run 35-day rate forecasts uh, every week and they show that by the by the end of February, early March, rates have bottomed out for for dry van um, in particular, flatbed uh, reefer is a little bit more difficult because we're in that in between season piece. You know, we've, we're past the retail season and produce season hasn't yet started. Won't start until you know March April period. Not even the volumes that are coming out of Florida, even though they're equal with where they were this time last year, that's not enough to move the national needle. So let me ask you this on van. So I'm I'm looking at national van rates according to uh, Rate View. Show this month two twenty seven a mile. When is the last time that we have seen national rates that low? Now you're we talking at- pre COVID. Uh, gosh, let me. I'll tell you exactly. I can if I. I'd have to do some quick math here to take. You're, you're I want to say the, it had to be like twenty nineteen. Yeah, you Yeah, I've got. I looked at this on the weekend spot rate data graphs. Here we go. All right, so. Um, if I look at if I take fuel out of it, so you've got to add what fifty five cents to these numbers. But we were six cents a mile um, below twenty eighteen, okay. but 12, 12 cents a mile above twenty nineteen. Okay. So um, the way I've characterised the current freight market is, you know, we've got supply in the spot market at about twenty twenty levels, and demand at about twenty eighteen levels. If you think about the volumes that are moving, 2018 was a good year from a demand perspective. But this time in 2020, we were still losing capacity. The industry was still shedding capacity because rates had been falling all of 2019. And capacity was we were capacity was exiting the industry all the way up until the pandemic. And then, of course, the whole world changed. So if we look at the, the volume of trucks posting their equipment, looking for loads on our load boards, it's about exactly where it was in 2020, which is a very loose freight market. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. So that's the mismatch between supply and demand. Demand looks like 2018 levels, but supply has overshot that by a long way because of all of the people that entered the industry during that period um, from about July 2020 until October last year. Yep, sounds about right. You've got the stats on the FMCSA data. What yeah. is that looking like? Yeah, we, we look at um, entries and exits. So what's surprising to a lot of folks is that there's always, you know, people uh, coming and going in the industry. And it's it's not quite even when you look at it each month. Um, up until the pandemic, we were adding about 1,000 net new carriers a month. So when you add in the, you know, all the new carriers, the reactivations, and then the carriers that deactivate, or, um, or just leave the industry for whatever reason, it's about a, a net gain each year, each month of about a 1,000. When we got to July of 2020, things went crazy. You remember that diesel dropped and rates went through the roof, and that offered this period of incredible profitability for carriers. And if you think about from June, uh, January of 2014 until uh, July of 2020, we'd added about a 1,000 carriers a month. So the industry was always growing. But once PPP loans ended, that accelerated. And at its peak in April of 2021, we were, we added about 8,000 net new carriers in that month. That's insane. Absolutely nuts when you look at the charts. Like we have never seen this amount of carriers. Now, so there's still a lot of them are still in the industry. But when you look at the net between new entrants and exits, it went negative last October. So in October and November, we lost about 2,500 carriers each month, about 1,500 in December. But this month, um, we've only lost about 1,000 so far. So I guess my point is that it, it looks like when you look at the shape of the graph, it looks like the rate of exits has slowed and is turning back towards being positive at the midpoint of February. So okay. you know, and, and so if you think about the chart sort of got this massive hump and it went negative, we lost carriers, we're still losing capacity, net capacity out of the industry. Now, remember, this is interstate. These numbers I'm talking about are interstate carriers uh, with the exception of Texas and California because you can do interstate is long haul also in those states. So I, I've, I've separated out from those numbers the intrastate short haul component. So that's what, that's what it looks like. It looks like we're Question. bottoming out. Yep. So if you've got from what I understand is we were losing capacity, right? At the most in the fall, it's still losing it, but it's net almost zero and it's going to start increasing this month. If you're going to increase the- I think once you hit the bottom of the rates and they start to go back up, that's when you're going to see more entrance into it. That's what I was just going to ask, right? Is it the cart before the horse, right? Like, Because if Mm -hmm. the carriers enter the market first, rates aren't going to want to go up because again, you've got- an oversupply on the carrier side, but right, right. if they're literally not coming into the market until the rates go up, it's the rates mm-hmm. increasing and then the mm-hmm. markets will shift, right? Man, it's I wish that this, this discussion, so like it, it's, it gives the analytics and the like the legitimate explanation as to why things have happened the way they have. And I, I so wish every trolling trucker out there on our Facebook group or, you know, wherever that's like, oh, these brokers are screwing us on rates. It's no. like, we don't control the rates. And the way right. you just explained it there is precisely uh, yeah. clear that, I mean, there's right. always going to be, you're going to have in a healthy market right. or an un- or a, a weak or uh, loose market, you're going to have 
good brokers and good carriers, and you're going to have the bad actors too. You're going to have yep. the, the broker yep. that is yep. truly screwing and price gouging, and you're going to yep. have the carrier that's doing the exact same thing to right. someone they can right. take advantage of. So that stuff happens, but it's the overall, when you look at the trend, it has nothing to do with brokers driving down rates. It right. is right. economics. It's literally what but, it comes and, down to. And it's the same people say, you know, DATs, you know, manipulating the rates. Hey, we don't own a truck. We don't hold freight. Like so, <laughs> do I, people I say rem- that? I've never heard no, that one yeah, before. Yeah, I keep reminding people. You know, uh, these lo- these rates are based on loads hauled, which means I, these rates are based on the rate you agreed to haul that stuff for. Like it's I not can't, rocket science. I can't tell you how many times I've had that conversation in my right. career negotiating right. a load, where it's like, listen, like the only reason you're complaining about where the rate is is because your peers and colleagues are willing right. to run the freight for that number. If nobody was willing to, you wouldn't yeah. have a transaction, right? Yeah. On you either know, side, it's hard. I've been uh, when I, you know, I still I know exactly what it costs to run my truck, which is a dollar ninety five yeah. a mile. But I've been, you know, when I was out on the road, I know I'd be sitting in a truck stop and everyone's saying, "Oh, no, we're not going to haul cheap freight." And next thing, someone takes off out of the truck stop, and you think, "Damn it!" I bet yeah, you you're hauling not- cheap freight, or you're not hauling any freight. Yeah, I'm thinking, <laughs> "Where are you going, dude? You just so let me you. ask. Let me <laughs> ask you this, Dean. So the the and we've gotten this question a bit, like where where the DAT data comes from. We know we understand right. where it comes from. It's loads hauled. Yep. But is there yep. when you look at a spot rate or a, you know a three to seven day average, whatever, it's omitting a certain percentage of outliers. Is that correct? Right. Correct. Yeah. All the do extreme. We, yeah. This do we know what are- percentage that is? I don't. I don't. I should know that, but I don't. I don't know what. I think someone was telling us it was like fifteen percent of five. Yeah. I thought it was I the five know. on the top or the bottom that Hans had told us. I th- it was somewhere like five yeah. or seven. I thought it was like yeah. the. Yeah, I thought basically. I thought it was like. Uh, I'm not a statistics guy, but like two standard devi- deviations no, out. No, these two like standard over. deviations. I just don't know what percentage of contributions it is. Okay. So yeah, so well, I think yeah. that comes out to yeah. like eighty-seven percent of the data right. is included, or something. Right. I forget. I'm not, any yeah. of you statistics people out there that are probably shaking your head, laughing at us right now. That's fine. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> but, I think, and yes. again, but for people out there, because you we had this conversation off air a couple of weeks ago, and a really good explanation Dean gave, and I think this is helpful for carriers as well as brokers. Was I'm like, well, Dean, because we're digging in and we're putting a course together for assets. And I spent, you know, quite a bit of time going through the numbers that Dean's talking about. What does it cost to operate a truck? Right. And I'm like, well, Dean, how are their carriers significantly below this number still hauling Mm. freight and not losing money? Mm. And it was a really simple example. It was basically their trucks were paid off. They didn't have, they didn't have a payment on their truck. So they could operate at least temporarily below everyone else. And on the other end, you had carriers that had huge truck bills because they bought them at the peak during the pandemic yep. and might have paid gotta, 20 or 30 percent more than everyone else in the right. market paid for their truck. Right. right? right. And that makes a whole lot and of then, sense. And that, and that explains the net exits, you know, capacity leaving yeah. the industry, because a lot of capacity migrated over to being leased onto a larger carrier. Mm-hmm. Where you're still going to get on average two bucks a mile, and you know avail yourself of better fuel purchasing programs, but then there were some carriers that just said, you know, I'm going to sell my truck and go and drive a P and D truck for Amazon or something. Yep. So that's well, the, also, that's the cycle we're in. 
And I think for our audience out there, the same thing happened with just consumer vehicles, right? Like if you bought a car at this peak, like your personal inflation, there was a big article where they showed like your inflation isn't always what that number is. It depends on what you actually bought. Like if you bought a house or a car during that time, your personal inflation might've been like 20 some percent because cars were 30% more than they cost the year before. The same as tractor trailers were. Right, right. Ben, I got your answer. It's uh, 5% total. So It is 5 Yeah, so it's uh, your top and bottom 2.5%. Yep. That, that makes okay. sense. That makes sense. Um, yeah, so we get, we get our contributions in every night. You know, um, we because of higher rates last year, we saw about $140 billion in freight spend. You know, it's about a 60-40 split between spot and contract. Um, you know, we, we get a lot of that data in every night. So we're seeing, you know, about half our rates that are submitted are in our system before the load's delivered. So we're seeing, you know, our, our, there's not the lag that people would think. It's a seven-day rolling average um, rate based on, you know, the loads that are being moved in the market. So it's fairly robust in terms of what's happened in the market. Now, rate, our forecasting tool is also pretty accurate, also after 35 days. I had another question too related to this is, what percentage of the market right now is spot? Because that shifted a lot during the pandemic where I think it peaked at around 30 some percent or like the high 20s. And normally, if I remember, it's supposed to be like around what, seven to nine percent? Is that give or take? But it could be. Yeah. So right now it's probably about, um, I'm going to say it's, I've got the numbers here. It's probably more like, I, I, I'm going to say about 90%, but I think it, it vacillates some days depending on, uh, uh, you know, the day of the week. Uh, mm-hmm. But the, the data that was fascinating to me is that we had, um, we pulled some numbers on this the other day and if I, just, uh, yeah, so the we had um, the volume of spot in the, the volume of freight moving in the spot market in, uh, 2019 was something, sorry, 2018 was something like 20%. Uh, okay. Then it dropped back down in 2019 to about 13% in okay. the spot market. Um, during the worst of the, or the peak of the pandemic, it was as high as 30%, as you mentioned, in our on our side of the business. Uh, but for the rest of the time, most of last year, it stayed relatively high compared to prior times. Normally, 90-10 would be the split, right? 90% contract, 10% spot. But mm-hmm. what you'd be seeing right now is more contract freight moving direct to brokers in the spot market. Not like so shippers are sending more volume direct to brokers. Purely based so off of cost, right? Because spot's cheaper. Uh, yeah, so, uh, but when they manage that spend by sending it to brokers at not in the hour they need to move the load, but in advance, you right. can manage your cost. So what they're doing is those low volume lanes. So remember, 80% of your volume moves on 20% of your lanes in the contract market. If you take those ghost lanes out and the lanes that are one or two loads a month, if you put them into a routing guide, you're automatically going to set yourself up for a tender rejection and a service failure. Because mm-hmm. the trucks right? aren't so going to want to run it because it's The chances miss. are low. Right. So, yeah. so what they're doing is saying rather than – overpaying for something that we can avoid. Let's manage that a little bit more strategically, send the low volume lanes direct to the brokers in the market and get them to manage that part of the business for us so our procurement costs for spot will be less over time. So that's a new phenomenon in the last year that we've seen on our side of the the contract market is shippers not putting every lane into their routing guide bid, but strategically putting in the high volume lanes 
And remember, they they the, we started with freight cycles are getting shorter. The shippers mm-hmm. knew that during the last RFP that they were less than a year away from the market turning again. Mm-hmm. And they knew that they couldn't play the market down. Uh, they had to stick with their incumbent carriers and, and basically both teams sort of agreed to play nicely, which, again, is not something you normally see when, in a you know, in a shipper's market when there's such loose capacity. But that was the difference. Interesting. So well, more good. volume in spot is a good thing yep. for you guys. Which is a good uh, thing for, for all us. the brokers out there. All of us. Good yep. news. And I also heard is some tips for prospecting. These are the things and the questions you want to ask your shippers and your customers when you're talking to them or prospects, right? Asking questions of, hey, you know, what are maybe some of the lanes that aren't as frequent, you know, the ones or twos or the right. three loads a month on some of these lanes. Hey, we might be able to get you better consistent, you know, on time percentages yep. At a better cost, right? That's a great value proposition from a brokerage to a prospect. I've actually, so we've seen it at our company for like the last couple of months. I've seen a handful of customers that they're intentionally moving the, like the two to three shipments a month, those lanes into, into our, uh, into a more broker you know, by intention, like they're intentionally yep, going yep. to the brokers first yeah. instead of like, hey, mm-hmm. I need this move right yeah. now. Um, so we've seen it and it makes a whole lot of sense now when you lay it out that way. So yeah. and this carriers uh, like that because carriers that run on a dedicated lane. Yeah. Like if, you, if you've got someone that's running, you know, from, you know, Buffalo to Kansas City and back every week because he wants to be home on a weekend, that's what you want to find. That's that's yes. the beauty of what you do is finding those carriers to match that lane. <clears throat> yeah, Absolutely. Well, that's interesting. Um, so for all the people that are not big analytics nerds out there, we at least gave you some good takeaways in this uh, in this numbers style market update episode. So, you know, we went over a lot of commodities. You can prospect right now uh, what the market should look like. And I'll, I'll just double down on what Ben said. Use this information. And even if you only remember like a couple points out of it, that's fine. But use it in your conversation with your existing customers and prospects, because yep. you know you're not when you when you call them and you have a, a good conversation about what they can expect and you can actually add value. You're different than the guy that's like, "Hey, I've got a truck in the area." <laughs> you know what I mean, which is <laughs> right. the standard sales pitch by a freight right. broker. So right. um, that's where good. they find you, Dean. And I, again, I point and direct all of the clients we work with to you because this is what you do. You put this out right. every week. So where yep. can yep. people get more of this? Uh, I'll just throw in the, it's a, if you go to dat.com forward slash market update and download our weekly market update that's uh, there um, every Tuesday night. So we talk about this on our show on a Tuesday, 10 a.m. Eastern, the DATIQ show. We publish a lot of information. We go through the market. We talk about our short-term rate forecast. And then uh, I publish that on a Tuesday night. So essentially what it is, it's a eight or nine-page long-form version of what we've covered today. Breaks it out by drive-ed, flatbed, reefer, has all the spot rates, load to truck ratio, and some comparisons to the last four or five years so you can see where rates are, and that's available free. Um, just go to dat.com forward slash market update, and you can download. Um, I'll just drop it in the chat so you've got it there. So that's where you can get that. It's free, and it's. Um, I think it's a good read because it gives you continuity week to week on what the market's yeah. doing. The, I've I really seen the DATIQ. Um, it's live on YouTube, isn't it? Right, streams YouTube live. YouTube and LinkedIn, yeah, 10 a.m. LinkedIn, Eastern. Yeah. Yep. Is it you and yep. Ken? You uh, And then we have a special guest on every week. Okay. Or every other week, so yeah. Yep. Gotcha. 
Good stuff. Well, we've got uh, some Q&A questions here from our listeners. But first, uh, shout out to our friends over at Lean Solutions Group, another valued partner of ours. Lean is the industry leader in nearshore staffing solutions with offices in South America and elsewhere around the world, including freight broker back office operations, accounting, tech development, business development, marketing, customer service, and many other positions. To learn more about the vast solutions Lean has to offer your freight brokerage or agency, visit them online at www.leangroup.com. That's lean, L-E-A-N, group.com. All right. So the uh, first question here, and these are kind of all over the place today. We got a little bit of everything. Um, This is a dispatcher. So an independent dispatcher asking, how do I find carriers that I can dispatch for? Um, My first thought on this is, well, it's kind of the same way that a freight broker has to go out there and find shippers or customers to provide services to. There's a lot of traditional cold outreach networking. Um, I mean, literally, you can find a directory on DAT of carriers based on location. Uh, you know, I've seen too, Ben, people are doing it in our Facebook group all like yeah. all the time. They're networking. You get like these small owner operators that are like, Hey, here's my equipment type looking for a dispatcher or a broker to, to keep me loaded. Um, or you find dispatching services that are on there just looking to network with, with folks. There's a whole bunch of ways to network. Um, ben, have you seen anything else outside of those traditional routes? I think that really covers that's how they're acquired. But I would like to ask Dean, since he does drive a truck, what are the things that a dispatcher can do to add value? So, I mean, what are they leading with, right? What would make you want to work with a specific dispatcher? Just honesty, straight up, never sugarcoat the bitter pill. Tell me exactly how bad and ugly it is, right? Don't. Don't try. Transparency. Yeah, transparency is critical. Don't try and, you know, start with, you know, the rosiest of rosy pictures because I've already got my BS radar going off, right? Mm -hmm. Just, uh, (laughs) you know, just just say, you know, tell me how bad it is because what what carriers don't want are surprises. They absolutely hate surprises. Tell me how bad it is and then I'll be fine because I can manage to that. Right, so you know, it's more than one drop, more than two so. drops. Right, yeah. So if I'm a if I'm a, a small trucking company or an owner operator, um, what? Why would I want to use a, an independent dispatcher over just going to find a broker on the load boards? What's the value add of the dispatcher? I mean, I know there's a lot of the paperwork and <laughs> stuff like that, carrier packets, but is there anything in addition? Like Ben said, it's going to add value. Um, that they can't get from working just with a broker? You know, I, d- I don't know. My own experience is working with brokers. So yeah. I I always looked at them as being my outsource marketing department. You know, they were a, they were a line item on my P&L. They were mm-hmm. an absolutely critical cost to me to run the business because they were doing all my sales and marketing and um, work in the background. Um yeah, I, don't, yeah, I, I can't I speak to that. Where yeah. I've seen a good value add in dispatchers, um, well, from a broker standpoint, they've got access to capacity that we don't always have, you know, from being posted sure. up on the boards. The other they thing from the carrier's yep. point of view yep. is, you know, if you're, if they can do a couple things. One, they can do your, you know, your onboarding process and contracts and stuff like that if you have them contracted to do those duties. So that takes that off your plate while you're driving. But in addition, 
they're out there shopping, trying to find the best next load for you as a driver based on um, if there's a certain location you want to get to or if you're just looking for a really good high paying load. Um, they're doing all that for you while you're driving. So that's that's what I've seen. So, I, you know, the folks that were out there in the last year that went, hey, when when everyone's got a little piece of the treasure, right, you got a lot of these dispatchers that popped up and really they just kind of rode the coattails, right? And now that right. things have, have shifted in a different direction, if you're not adding value, you're not going to be, you're not going to have a job. Um, right. You know, you're not needed the way that, you know, you might've been 12 months ago. So good point. That's my take on it. Um, all right. Next, next question. I'm a freight forwarder. How can I improve my sales? I'm cold calling, but it's not that effective. <laughs> well, I'm, I know it's a freight forwarder, but it even you could be a, an asset based trucking company. You could be a freight brokerage. You could be a dispatcher, uh, whatever, right? If you're, and if cold calling is the number one mo- most effective way um, to do our job and to get more business and it's not effective for you, you're not doing a good job at cold calling. And that could be the quality of your cold calling or most likely I'm guessing is the quantity of your cold calling. Cause with quantity tends to come better quality. You're going to develop better. Ben, you'd coach on this all the time. What do you think? Oh yeah. I mean, cold calling's not working. why? Yeah. Effectiveness refers to, I guess, you know, how many people are you getting as customers? And the thing is, I mean, in our industry relationships matter above mm-hmm. everything else. And if you're not effective, you're not connecting with human beings. You're not getting them to know, like, or trust you. And that's where you want to work on that skill set. And some things outside of just looking for better questions, working with a coach, watching videos on this, listening to podcasts, reading books. There's a ton of resources out there and content. But it's just practicing this all, practicing it also in your day to day life, right? I've seen some really good, interesting things where it's like, you know, just try to talk to five people a week that you've never met, right? Try to have a conversation with the guy at the pharmacy, with the girl at the grocery store, with the guy delivering your food. The more, the more you can mm. practice that skill set of initiating a conversation is really where the calls are won or lost. And those are things that you can practice every day. That's why, honestly, I feel like people in the service industry, like bartenders and waiters, do so well in sales because they are very adept at that skill set of talking for the first 30 seconds, right? They can connect. They can make you feel warm and comfortable talking with them. You can feel like you can tell them your life story. That's that piece that really determines whether someone's Hmm. going to be effective or not. Hmm. Yep. You're absolutely right. You know what? I'm I'm the kind of guy that like when – you get the random solicitation at your front door, whether it's um, someone trying to sell lawn care service or it's Jehovah Witness, right? I, I will always talk to them because I just enjoy talking to random people, uh, whether or not mm-hmm. I'm going to prescribe or subscribe to their uh, their services. So that's a I like that. But you have to practice it, right? You're not even yeah. if even if you don't have a background in being a bartender or a service industry, um, if you do a hundred cold calls, you're going to get a little bit better at it than you were when you first started. And most this, likely you'll get a lot better at it. What's that? This book? is a great book. It's called influence the psychology of persuasion. Um, it's written by Robert Caldini. This book was on not Warren Buffett, but his partner, my mind just blanked. Um, his like five books you like need to read in business. And the long and short of it is this book is basically this guy in the late seventies or maybe eighties. It's around then he is a doctorate in psychology and he goes and gets a job in every type of sales 
and then basically talks about the techniques that he learned that were in those sales techniques and then breaks down how all of the psychology works with all of it. But it's a great book that really shows you how this is done in a lot of different ways. I like it. All right, final question, and we'll go around the horn on this one. What do you wish somebody would have told you before you became a broker? So I'll just, in general, and before getting into the transportation industry, what is something that you wish someone would have told you? Um, Dean, do you have any, you got anything? You've been in it the longest out of the three of us. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure this is suitable for. <laughs> you can always cut it it's, out. Uh, That's all right. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, if I learned how to sleep properly, I wouldn't have had to take things to stay awake at night. Right. So. Interesting. Uh, yeah. I nearly killed myself one night uh, trying to stay awake. And uh, that was kind of a turning point. And uh, I just decided that it was better to try and stay awake by taking something than kill myself because it was inevitable. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd already lost some friends. You know, friends had fallen asleep at the road and run off, in front, run off the road in front of me. And, you know, that's an awful experience when you're trying to deal with, you know, your best friends that are sort of slumped over a wheel after yeah. hitting a tree. But no one ever explained to me that there was another way and the other way was getting good quality sleep, which is why I came to this country and studied sleep at Harvard and taught sleep classes for the best part of a decade. I didn't know that if you actually learned how to sleep properly, the science of sleep, you could drive all night without any problems. I didn't know that. Nobody knew that in the 80s and 90s. That's the one thing I, I wished we'd have, you know, figured out a long time ago. Interesting. And That's, so actually next week, yeah. I think we're going to do an episode on uh, – like big picture lifestyle of how to succeed in brokerage. And we're going to talk about things like, you know, your, your health and how you, how you, Mm -hmm. how you manage, you know, sleep and recharging your batteries Mm -hmm. per se, stuff like that. Cause there are, I mean, there burnout is real. And um, if you don't take care of your, your body, right. Don't take care of yourself. It's going to, that does always eventually catch up to you and it will spill over into your, professional performance. So that's, that's absolutely. Yeah. It's Um, really interesting. I've been spending a lot of time actually on that topic for the past few months, researching sleep. And it just is astounding. They said, if sleep was a pill, it would by far be the number one selling drug in the world because it is literally the Swiss army knife your body has to fix everything. Uh, And just the quantity is not the same as quality and even the yep. types of sleep where people say, well, I fall asleep and wake up fine and I, I am in bed seven hours. But then mm-hmm. we just had no idea back then whether or not you're getting deep sleep, REM sleep, restorative right. sleep, and right. your cognitive ability is like so affected by it that I think so, it's like yep. if you get like an hour or two less sleep, it's like the equivalent of like drinking three beers all day. It's something crazy like that. Just right. Right. how right. much you lose by not getting good sleep. Yep. It's critical. So I will, uh, I'll, I'll give my take. So I started off um, working on the asset side before brokerage. So I'll, I'll give, you know, I'll, the trucking side has a good analogy or, or good take on it, Dean. I'm going to give the for brokerage side of it. Um, I would say having a mentality, like have you ever seen the TV show Ted Lasso? One of the lines they use is uh, be, be a goldfish. Talking about how goldfish have such a, they have like no memory. no like So they can easily forget, forget a bad easily. experience um, and they'll move on. They, basically, they don't hold a grudge. They, they don't, they're not down on themselves because of a bad, something bad happened. 
So there's so much rejection in this industry mm. in sales on the sales side of brokerage. And there's also so many, uh, it's very, very easy to hold a grudge against a carrier if you're a broker because of one bad experience. And the same thing, some I've had a lot of carriers that will hold a grudge against a broker. And it happens with brokers to shippers and shippers to brokers. Mm. So I would say um, there's with so much rejection and so much when tensions get high and people get frustrated, um, be a goldfish, right? L- learn how to be mm-hmm. flexible and let you know, let it kind of. What's the the duck phrase like? Be a duck. The one in sales is be a duck, like yeah, the water off your back, off your back, like a duck, whatever it is. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, have a uh, have a short memory span when it comes to your emotions. That's what I would. That's my advice I'd give, uh, Mr. Kowalski. My- what you got? I would say the one biggest thing that I learned over time that would have been helpful knowing in the onset was just that no matter how good your relationship is with your customer and no matter how much business you're doing with them, it is inevitable. You will likely lose a portion of it or all of it to likely things that are outside of your control. And like that is a thing that I've seen time and time again is people, again, we talk about this a lot. They get promoted. They go to different jobs. They get fired. A company gets acquired. You might have still have a great relationship with that point of contact giving you the business, but they hire a new CFO and all of a sudden they change all of their operations, want to use a different TMS, different criteria. And you go from doing whatever it was to doing 25% of whatever that business is. And again, Mm -hmm. we say this a lot, but it's just another really good reason why prospecting should not be an occasional activity. You need to be doing this consistently as part of your daily and weekly tasks, because again, no matter how good you're doing, it's inevitable. You're going to have loss in your book of business. Hmm. I like it. All good tips there. So, well, anyway, Dean, thanks again for having, uh, or for coming back on the show here. I think it's been our third or fourth time. We'll have you on again in the future. It's always fun. Uh, Make sure to check out Dean Croak um, on DAT. I know we said DAT.com forward slash market update. That's where they find you. Is that correct? All your information? Correct. Fun Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So definitely check out Dean. Um, Dean, any last thoughts? Any, any last bit of info you want to um, toss out there? Yeah. I think, uh, be, you know, dare to be different. You know, one of the things you can do in sales is uh, not do the same thing that everyone else is doing. I, uh, I've always been very successful in business by not following the pack at doing the exact opposite of what every other truck is doing. If they're heading in one direction, I'm heading in the other. So that's where the opportunities like are on the margins, not because no one's home at the average. Love that. Right. Yeah, that's good. Good stuff. Mm. All right. Well, that'll be it for this episode. Again, next week, we're going to get into some good big picture stuff on how to improve yourself as a broker. Uh, ben, any last final thoughts here? Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. (laughs) And until next time, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Check out the show notes for links to anything that we've referenced on this episode. And make sure to visit us online at Freight360.net to see our entire library of episodes, videos, blogs, and more. And make sure to check us out on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for daily and weekly tips and content. If you'd like your question answered on the show, fill out the Contact Us form on our site and we'll see you next week.